0: Glory to the Lamb, isn't it? Woo! Man, that's good right there. Ooh, that's good right there. Come on. So, all righty. We're gonna need, we need that. Amen? This is what the church is about right here. So, y'all find 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And we're kind of getting into the meat of this. And uh, you're going to notice up here, uh, I've got just a little simple outline for you as we go through to try to keep up with with where I'm at. We're talking about the foundation of church success. If I were to ask that question to a 100 preachers, you you probably wouldn't get the answer you're going to get today. But we're going to actually use the Bible, and it's going to tell us what to do. Amen? Because there's so many things out there today, church growth models and church growth, and I just think uh, I get stuff all the time about... Going to conferences and things of that nature that talks about church growth and uh, the foundation of what the church is and and I look at it and I see who's coming I see what they're going to talk about and they don't have a clue and so I just here's my here's my opinion do what you are called to do quit talking about what we're supposed to do and do it it's kind of the definition of the church we'll get there but. Definition of the church, if they just quit worrying about what the definition is and just do what the church is supposed to do. Uh, and so let's, let's read this text here together. We're going to start in verse number 10, 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, and look, and I'm going to try to pick some of these things out as we go in just a very simple outline. Now, I urge you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. And that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there was rivalry among you. You remember a group Paul had left. He spent more time in Corinth than in most places. And then when he left, he, he got a group from Chloe's household that came and said, Paul, we got a problem. There's divisions in the church. And then he had another group that said... We've got a list of questions we also want to answer. So Paul spends the first four chapters, you remember. So what we're dealing with here is Paul is dealing in the first four chapters with the problem of divisions. And so all the accolades and everything that Paul said to them about what a great church they were, and they were, that's done. Paul's fixing to start taking it, taking them to the little <laughs> woodshed right now. And so he says, for it's been reported... To me, about you, my brothers, from folks from Chloe's household, there's rivalry among you. Verse 12, what I'm saying is this, each of you says, I'm with Paul. Somebody says, I'm with Apollos, and somebody says, I'm with Peter, Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? What is Paul? Was he crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. Here's what Paul says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize, not with clever words, so that the cross of Christ may not be emptied of its power. So here's... here's, I'll never forget the days when we first started Woodlake Baptist Church... We came together, and here's how we did this. We didn't have any committees, anything. We had about 60, 70 of us. We came together. The Lord would put whatever on my heart or whatever we dealt with. We had unity in the church. Told everybody what we're going to do. We're going to, this is what I want to do. I want you to pray about it for a week. We'll come back, and we'll vote on it. We had 100% vote continually the whole time. We had unity in the church. Unity is the foundation of the New Testament church. Just, just for curiosity, I thought about this this morning and wanted to ask you: How many of you have been in a church split? Would you raise your hand? And for the record, of folks at home, over, over half, probably two thirds of the folks that are in here raised their hand. It is to the shame of the New Testament church that we can find ourselves in this place. We, we've noted that the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. Churches are going to have problems. I'm not here today to say that we're not going to have problems. All churches have problems. But how you deal with those problems is the important part. And I know of churches that are so close to us and all around us right now, who are having problems right now. And it seems that in these days where God is really beginning to spiritually awaken this country, there's fighting and divisions and craziness in so many different churches. Most of the people that came to Woodlake when we first started came from somewhere where they were hurt when they left. It is terrible, and it's very difficult to keep those things out. And to our shame, the world gets an opportunity to look in at us and say, well, look how they're all acting. And so what we want to do at all costs is protect the unity of the body. James literally describes this church in Corinth. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come because of your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill, you covet. But you cannot have it. You can't have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. And he just goes on and he just really tears him up. Un, uh, uh, is of unknown origin, this quote is beautiful. Quarreling is a reality in the church because selfish and other sins are realities in the church. Because of quarreling, the father is dishonored, the son is disgraced. His people are demoralized and discredited, and the world is turned off and confirmed in unbelief. Fractured relationships rob Christians of joy and effectiveness, robs God of glory and robs the the world of the true testimony of the gospel. Uh, An ego trip costs us a very high price to pay. And most times, the things that churches split about or people are in quarrels and divisions about are absolutely silly. And right here, as Pastor breaks this down for you, I'm going to show you how Paul literally destroys this foolish argument that they have. And so, to our shame, churches have actually come to blows at times. I know of baptist churches during church conferences where people have literally come to blows to hit one another in the, in the house of God over foolishness and it ought not to be you say pastor this is a weird message no it's not it's right here in the book amen and I can promise you Joel Osteen won't preach this this morning But see, this is where we do. Pastor preaches through a book. I want you to get the whole nine yards. Y'all all all right? I want you to see everything that's in here. And if preachers would deal with problem people, we wouldn't have all of these problems. If we believe that James and what he says, it comes from our own desires and our own passions. Two of the devil's favorite things are divisions and quarrels. Now, I've come to see and I've come to believe that the foundation of the church is unity. I saw it right here when we started Woodlake 16, 17 years ago. We had unity, and I mean, things were just so easy. It was such a joy to be around church. It was fun to be here. And I think if pastors would deal with people the way they're supposed to when they cause trouble, there wouldn't be this stuff. But the one thing that the pastor has to have is the support of the laity and the deacons in order to deal with people that cause a lot of problems. Do y'all know what a church letter is? Do y'all know what that is? When somebody joins Woodlake, if they come from a Baptist church, we send for their letter. Y'all know that you feel me. Those of you Baptists, those of you who come from different denominations, you may not understand this. But what it used to be, it's not now. What one church does now is send sends a card, and they say these people joined our church. Just wanted you to know, so you could take them off your roll. That's what the letter is. That's not what the letter used to be. The letter used to be when someone left a church, the pastor sat down, wrote a letter. About the people, gave it to them, and when they came, and listen, I've had people do this. Old Tommy Baptists come to join Woodlake, and they come with their letter from their pastor. And their pastor recommends them to the church. You know what that does? It stops people who are problem people from skipping churches. They destroy this church and then they go somewhere else. If you literally had to show up with your letter in your hand, I'd put a stop to some of this stuff. And I can tell you when there's a church around here who has a lot of problems because their people scatter. And, and it can be done, and I'm just going to tell you, it just happens. Sometimes God is actually in that. Church starts come from that and things of that nature. But it shouldn't be done in that way. So quarrels and disunity and divisions will kill the productivity of the church. All the energy goes into refereeing, divisions, quarrels, and fights. And the main thing gets overlooked. And then people get hurt and they fight. And uh, Jesus said this was important. In John chapter 17, in the priestly prayer, Jesus says and speaks of them, we being one with each other as if we're one with God. He says, so that they may be one as we are one. In John 17 and 20 and following, he says, My prayer is not, uh, not for, for them alone, but also for those who believe in their message. He's talking about us. And just think if the New Testament, early New Testament church fought and quarreled like many of the churches do today. We wouldn't even have a New Testament. It would have died. It would have been over. But he says, That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. Complete unity. May they be brought to complete unity. Not some unity. Complete unity. And so I take this passage as meaning that if unity was important to Jesus Christ, <laughs> it ought to be important to us. Amen? Here's that famous theologian, Jerry Gray, says this. Y'all are laughing way too much right here about so. us. <laughs> The next time you find yourself on a soapbox, ask yourself this. Is it worth the salvation of other people? i tell you what, that theologian Jerry Gray, I'm telling you, he's something else. If getting your way and satisfying your own passions, as James says, ever becomes more important than souls, then we're done. Unity is the foundation of success in the church. Now let's look at Paul's plea. The first thing that Paul does is uses the word parakaleo. You can literally translate this in, in verse number 10. Uh, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I urge you. I mean, if you have a King James, it probably says, I beseech you. And he's saying literally, you can translate this as please. 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 Paul says, I am begging you. Please, I appeal. I beseech. I entreat. I encourage you to agree with one another Paul says the the word parakaleo is actually a cognate of the the word comforter, the Holy Spirit and it means to come alongside of someone that's what the Holy Spirit does he comes alongside of you to encourage you to convict you to, to push you along and Paul says I want you, Corinthians to come alongside of me I want you to snuggle up next to me and I'm begging you in the name of Jesus to get along with one another he says please come together And so it meant something to Jesus, so therefore it meant something to Paul. Always come to the table of deliverance with passion and confidence in the Word of God. Paul says, I beseech you. I believe in this message. I want to come with fire to the pulpit. When I come and I preach, I am parakaleo. I am preaching with passion to beseech you, to pull you in and saying to you, please listen to me. I am begging you. I want you with everything that's within me. I beseech you. It's important to Jesus. It was important to Paul. Paul was making his petition. This is Paul's plea. It's really Paul's personal plea out of his heart. He says, I beg you, and I want to tell you, sometimes y'all get yourself in such a mess that I literally go home and cry because I don't have the wisdom to fix it. But I want to tell you, can I ask you this? I have found some wisdom in this passage to help me. Listen very carefully to me. People said, what do you do in that case, Brother Jerry? I said, I'll tell you what you do. Sanford puts it very simple. Sanford says, it's a hard issue. And what did Paul, the entire message of the book, the entire book of 1 Corinthians applies right here. Let's just get it out of the way. Paul says, all the problems of the church can be solved by one thing, that if the church will be submissive to the will of God. if you're, If you're at a crossroads with somebody, just submit. To the Word of God. Submit to Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You say, well, you just don't understand, Brother Jerry. You don't understand my position. You don't understand where I'm at. You don't know what, how difficult this is. Let, let me ask you this. Do you trust Jesus Christ? Do you trust Jesus Christ? Church, do you trust Jesus Christ with everything? Then take that division, take that quarrel, take your personal opinion, take whatever you think is going to happen from it and just give it to him and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this, but I trust you with it. I'm handing it to you. I'm giving you the outcome of it and I submit to you and you take my heart, my mind, my soul, and my will. This, This word here, he says submit, it's used of two warring factions here. He says, I say to you, do this. Do you think that Paul forgot that we're Baptists? The little word lego in the New Testament there says that we agree with one another. The word's used of quarreling factions that actually come together for reconciliation. Paul said, come together. Let's pull this together. The word is schisms. Notice what he says here the name of the Lord that you all agree with one another and there be no divisions. The word is schisma. Y'all know what a schism is. It's a split. It's something that's taken apart. It's the, the word pictures destruction of unity through force. The tearing of a garment or political factions that are engaged in a struggle for power. Social stratifications. The opposite of this is obviously the word for unity. And unity is the word that means, uh, literally, in, in the original language, the grammar tells us that it's something that we're supposed to have, that it comes from an outside source, and that we're to continue having it. But see, as the church grows, then power struggles get put in place, jealousy gets put in place, and, and it just naturally, people, and let me tell you, this happens in your office. This is just not for the church. You, you join an organization. Go join the gym and watch what happens. You'll find out there's schisms there at the gym. Why? Because there's people there. But here, we're supposed to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and we're supposed to act differently. The, the, the last word here is judgment and opinion. Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to be of the same judgment. Nome is the word. It means opinion, advice, or purpose. Now, how can we be of the same mind and the same purpose when we disagree? By submitting to his will, not ours. Did did you get that? Look. Submission to Christ can bring perfect unity. That is literally the theme of this book. Uh, Do do you remember Philippians 4? Paul says, I plead with. Same word. I beseech you. I'm begging you. Please help you, Odia and Syntyche, agree with one another. And we talked about this before. You remember Paul didn't tell us what they were fighting about. Because we would choose sides and we would be arguing about what they were arguing about. So Paul never told us about that. And then Paul goes on a little further in Philippians 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then I want you to make my joy complete by being like-minded. I want you to think like Jesus, in other words. I want you to be a part of this. You you think that we're unspiritual because this happens? Let me tell you. In Acts chapter 13, and uh, we, we read in Acts 13 and 15, we had a problem. We had a problem there. Paul and Barnabas, here's what the scripture says. They got into a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas? Yep, Paul and Barnabas. And so two people who love Jesus working as hard as they can for the Lord going in the same direction and here's what the scripture says from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. John Mark was a little bitty fellow at the time. He wasn't even a grown man. He, got, he, he was a mama's boy. He got sick. He got homesick. And guess what he did? He quit. He said, this isn't for me. I'm going home. And then when he came back they were, Paul and Barnabas were going on another mission trip, and Barnabas says, I want to take John Martin. He said, no, we're not taking that joker. He bailed out on us. We're not doing that. He's a, he's a whiny whiny. We're not taking him. And then sometime later, Paul and Barnabas left. He said, let us go back and visit the brothers. Let's do another mission trip is what that means. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with him, but Paul said, no, I don't think that's wise. We're not taking him because he deserted us in Pamphylia. And then then they had such a sharp disagreement, they had such an argument that they split company. Now watch. This is how good God is to us. When we act that foolish, the Lord works in it. So now you got two missionary teams. And sometimes by our foolishness we split churches, God starts a new church. Isn't it a shame? That we have to have church splits to start a new church in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're the the most childish people in the world. Now listen, let's look at the principal problem here. You say, Brother Jerry, what's this problem that's going on in Corinth? This has got to be the worst thing in the whole world. This has got to be terrible. What in the world is going on in Corinth to cause all this problem? Well, Paul says that the members... From the household of Chloe came and said, there's, division, there's division, divisions among you. And this word for divisions is strife and contentions. It means hot disputes. When the hot disputes get so big, they call schisms. It's kind of a thing there. As your pastor, I want you to know, I understand we're going to have differences. But I want to introduce you to something. This is how we fix it. Time, turf, and terms. It's easy to remember. Time, turf, and terms. If you have a problem, take care of it at the proper time. Mm. See, if you discipline or disagree with your spouse in public in front of other people, that's not a good thing. Wait till you get home and talk to them privately about it. Time. If you have a child to discipline, sometimes you have to, the the time is, you get forced on you, but the turf has to change. You have to take them outside and talk to them. Beat the daylight out of them. (laughs) Yeah, right? And terms. Let it be on your terms where you're calm. You're cool, and you've thought it through. You all right? Every time your pastor loses his temper, I violate one of those principles. And so Paul says, hey, we we have some problems here. Quarrels, people that like to quarrel and like to fight, look for an opportunity to fight. Baptist churches and conferences could solve a lot of their problems by doing this, and here's what we do here. When we vote on the budget or we bring in uh, something that we want to do and we want the church to vote on it, I'll announce it, we'll make a motion, and I'll give you a week to pray about it and call the heads of the committees to talk with them about it. Time, turf, and terms. You got a problem with it, you go talk to the committee. But when we come to vote on the floor, we're not acting like the heathens do out there. So we're not going to fight in conference because I'm not going to allow it. If you want to fight, you got to do it during the week in my office. You can come chew me out if you want to, and yell at me, but we'll do it behind closed doors. Y'all all right? It's time, turf, and terms. And so he says, "Hey, what is this big fight all about?" Let me tell you something. There's a local church that's within a couple of rocks throws from here. That their pastor went on vacation. The deacons had a beef with the pastor. His wife actually came to Woodlake when he was gone to California trying to get a church off the ground. And she came under our watch care, and I pastored him. I know him. He's a good man. He's an awesome man. He's a great pastor. And while he went on vacation, the chairman of the deacons, he was at odds with the pastor, stood up and tried to call for a vote to fire the pastor while he was on vacation. Caused a big split in the church. Guess what? Guess where some of them ended up? right here. Guess what I did? Told them they weren't welcome. Because I eat lunch with the man sometimes. I know him. I know his heart. And I know what's going on there. And you can't figure out where it's at because I'm not going to tell you. Y'all all right? But I stood back there where Mark's at and talked to one of the men that came here. And he was shaking while he was telling one of his other friends what they had done. One man was smart enough to leave before it happened. He said, I want a part of it. And he stood back there. He was just shaking with hatred and vitriol. And I said, dude, that's not allowed here. you got to go somewhere else. Because you see, in in about three or four weeks or two or three months, that vitriol would have been turned towards me. He wouldn't have liked something I'm doing. And that wouldn't have been good for him. (laughs) I can promise you. So what was this big fight all about? Look right here. Somebody said, Well, tell you what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pick me out a preacher, and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Paul. Preacher worship. I'm gonna get Paul. Nobody says, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Apollos. Paul's a missionary. Missions are most important. Somebody said, Well, Paul well, Apollos, he's a great teacher. I'm following Apollos. Well, Peter's really the preacher. He, you know, Jesus says, Upon this rock I'll build my church. So I'm following the Apostle Peter. I'm not following anybody else. Well, then he says, And then somebody got real spiritual. I love this. Well, I'm following Jesus. <laughs> did, did you know that everything about you, now listen very carefully to me, everything about you, spiritually, socially, economically, geographically, even spiritually, influences everything and every decision that you have? about church what you think about church about everything spiritually everything your background determines what you think you may be one of those people that think the church our job's missions boy if it ain't maybe your spiritual gift has to deal with missions maybe your spiritual gift is a teacher did you know that your spiritual gifts can cause you a lot of trouble because you think, boy, doctrine's the, most in thing. doctrine's the most important thing. Missions is the most important thing. Administration is the most important thing. Well, all our prophets in here will think that eschatology and the end time stuff. Well, pastor, you don't preach on that enough. And then we'll have an evangelist here who says, Pastor, you're not drawing the net. You're not preaching Jesus. You're not giving the plan of salvation enough. And so everybody's, then there's people that say, well, you know, fellowship's very important. We've got to have hospitality. Pastor, we're not eating enough together. We're not, you know, and bless God, I agree with that, but I'll tell you, so, you. Listen very carefully to me. An un let's see, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. You can be very evangelistic, but it's not the only thing we do. You, you know how many pastors that I know who are evangelists, who should be evangelists and not pastors? And you know what their church is always crying out to the pastor for? Would you feed us? Teach us the Bible. Will you disciple us? And every Sunday is a salvation message. Can I just tell you every Sunday I share the message of the gospel from right here? Plus teaching you balance in the scripture. You see, this is why God gave you me. Because the Lord teaches the pastor to be balanced in everything he does. I'm going to teach you the word. I want to explain the scriptures to you. We set the calendar so that we can uh, fellowship, so that we can do hospitality. We do missions projects so we can do missions. We give to missions. You see, it's across the board. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do everything. If you, In a little bit further on, if you look over in, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, I'm not going to preach this, but we're, just, we're coming to that. Paul says, a person should consider us we're talking about the church today but Paul says this is how you're supposed to look at your pastor so you know a lot of people think they know what my job is they don't know what my job is but I know where to find it they know what the church is supposed to do we're going to, we're going to define the church in just a second but Paul says consider us this way we're servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries i'm a mystery manager the man, he talks about the manifold wisdom of God, and your pastor is supposed to get in the book every day of his life and get the mysteries of God and come and pour it out on you. I want you to leave here with spiritual heartburn. I want you to eat too much while you're here. You're all right? I want you to be full when you leave. I'm going to pour it out to you. Listen, how many of? You, this is the word Ecclesia Church. You know, when people don't you know, always tell me what the church is supposed to do, and they don't even have a biblical definition of the church. The word is assembly. That's what it means, ecclesia. And many times, the word ecclesia in the scripture is translated as riot. It's a group of people that came together for a purpose. That's what we're here for. But the church, from the greatest and smartest man I know, Dr. David Skinner. I fooled you, didn't I? My New Testament theology professor, and this this definition is as good as it gets. David Skinner says the church, the New Testament church, is as a visible assembly of people who have been saved through redemption towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ, repentance towards God, faith in Jesus, and who have publicly declared their salvation by being immersed in water and who have joined together in obeying Christ's commission. And you see to me it doesn't matter what your definition of evangelism is just do it. You don't need CWT and witness training. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need some courage. You if you got Jesus in you you know how. Listen, every time you don't witness and you walk away, you get convicted. Somebody say, I had a preacher friend of mine, and some one of my other preachers says, well, I just wonder why we don't witness like we're supposed to. And Brad Ball, Brad's been here. Brad said, because you're a disobedient coward. I was like, I was like thanks, thanks, Brad. I was like, that's the truth. Do y'all think I ever am tired or don't want to fool with folks and I don't witness to them and I get in my truck and leave like everybody else? Of course I do. And I get in the truck and the Holy Spirit says, you missing opportunities just because you're tired. I had a word for that guy. And then I have to turn my truck around and go back and apologize and share Jesus. Y'all all right? That's what we're supposed to do. We need to quit talking about what the church is and start doing church. Somebody say glory. Here's the perfect principle. Notice in verse number 13. In your divisions, well, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow. The, here's a, here's a great question, right? Is Christ, is Christ divided? Wait a minute. What are you talking about, Paul? Is Christ, what does he mean? I'll tell you. When I got to that, I'm like, so I thank God that I didn't baptize. I didn't baptize any of y'all. Paul asked him later on, "Is Christ divided? Is is Jesus somehow separated? How could Christ disagree with himself?" Is it righteous for us to take parts of Jesus that we like and other parts that we don't? So, my opinion is so important because I'm following Jesus, and here's what he said. Well, as soon as you say that, somebody's going to say, Yeah, but in 2 Timothy chapter 5 and verse three, this is what it says. See, and then we get in a scripture battle. Jesus likewise doesn't loan out his de- deity to anybody, he was crucified for you. Here's what Paul is saying Was I crucified for you? Was Peter crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? No. So then why are you picking out men? Listen, let me me make it very clear. Let me me illustrate it very clear. Would y'all have a problem with this? We're We're going to baptistry. I bring the candidate down, and I say, Oh, Brother Joe, God bless you, man. You gave Jesus your heart. I baptize you in the name of the Father and Brother Jerry and the Holy Spirit. That should have rubbed up against your soul. I should have hoarded more than that. Would that bother you if I did that? Why? Why? I'm just, I, I'm not Christ. I didn't die for you. I wasn't crucified for you. And while I'm right here, let me just say this. You pick you up a conference schedule and you look on there. You know who will be on there? All the big dogs. All the preachers that everybody worships. And I want to tell you, bless the Lord on my soul to my fellow brother. if you hear this God bless you to all my fellow pastors who are out there in small churches who are starving to death and preaching the book better than any of those guys can preach are coming to church every Sunday feeding their people visiting the hospitals and then then they got to hear how great all these people is preacher worship I don't want you to ever go out here and say, Well, we got a great pastor. I want you to say, Oh, what a great God we've got. Can you believe what God's doing with our pastor who's so fleshly and ignorant? M- meant that, every word of it. So that the power of God can rest on your pastor. In verse 14 through 16, Paul makes it very clear. He's not, Paul says, I didn't baptize anybody. Now, if you don't understand that passage, let me just explain it to you. Paul says, I didn't stick around to get a following. I didn't baptize you. I didn't do anything for you. My job is to preach the gospel, to evangelize, and start churches. We've got some cult leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, we do. Come on. And, and while I'm at it, you see, if I'm going to criticize Joel Osteen and all the other crazy preachers out there, I'm going to talk about our folks, too. We've got people, mega pastors, mega churches, and there's preacher worship going on. And it's dangerous. Because when they fall, look at all the other people that fall. And there's some pastors out there pastoring 50 people, and the man lives a holy, righteous life his entire life, and dies and nobody even knows it. I hate to do this because I'm going to embarrass her, but I want to tell you something, okay? Your father, I'm telling you, He worked for the convention for years, and he was a fantastic man. You wanted to hear about a godly man? Okay, your father was a godly man, and and I was invited to do his service. I got two emails from two preachers that text me and told me what a godly man he was. A man who lived what he did on earth, now forgotten, but in glory, in glory. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. God knows about it. And it was one of the greatest privileges of my life. And I got in my truck that day, Kay, and on the way home, I just boo-hooed. The Lord, it just hit me. I just thought, here is a man that served, that, that graveside should have been filled with preachers that knew what he did for our convention for years and all the good works that he did. And bless the Lord on my soul, there were some of them there. But we recognized the great man when we knew him. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I left there thinking, this small, unknown pastor got to do his funeral. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me be there. It was a great blessing to me. Paul wasn't there to get a start. He didn't. Evidently, somebody in the church started, well, Paul's my guy. And here's what Paul says about it. You want to be a preacher? You want to be a leader? You don't ride in limousines. You you listen to me. Listen. Paul didn't start a cult. Didn't start a, you know, Kenneth Copeland and all these guys flitting around on private jets. And listen, if you got 40,000 members in big time church, you, you get too big for your britches. I'm just telling you. And it takes a humble man to realize what the ministry is all about. For it seems to me that God has put the apostles on display at the end of a procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. We are fools for Christ. But as for you, you're so wise in Christ. Holy Spirit using Paul to be sarcastic. Serious. You read it. 1 Corinthians 4, 9-13, through 13, you read it. We are weak, but you are strong. You're honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry, thirsty, we're in rags, and we're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. And when we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we've become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. It would be so So refreshing. It would be so wonderful that if there were some big time preachers today who could actually realize how insignificant they really are. Do you think I'm worthy to preach the inspired Word of God? I am nothing. We are all nothing without Jesus Christ. This is the greatest privilege of my life. I heard a pastor say to me one day, just don't know what I'm going to preach Sunday. I had to sit down. I said, what are you talking about? You don't have nothing to preach. you got 2,000 pages of stuff to preach. And I'll tell you what you do. If you get off your iPhone and get in a study and get the Holy Ghost in you, boy, you'll find something to preach. Paul was filled with the Spirit of God. And I would love it if these guys would learn who they actually are in Christ. The church does not revolve around a figurehead. And you say, Well, Brother Jerry, why? Well, look, let's look at the perfect pattern. Here's the perfect pattern. Goodness gracious. This is, y'all, this is so good. Verse 17 For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize, not with clever words so that the cross of Christ would be emptied of its effect. Every preacher that I know would love to have my job because my people understand and recognize the importance of my study time. And, and, this, is, and this is right here. I promise you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, my Savior and my Lord, I call the Holy Spirit of my God a witness. In 40 years, I have never come to the pulpit unprepared. I have never taught a devotion. I've never gone to the nursing home and thought, oh, well, these people don't know any differently. I don't really have to prepare very much. I just take a little short devotion. No, I get into the Word of God no matter where I'm going, how many people are going to be there because I know that the person that needs to study more than anyone is me. And when I come, I'm loaded. And you can't even get it all in 30, 40 minutes. I'm having to run through this right here so fast to put all this together for you. If you'll get the notes, you read them, you'll find out there's way more here than I could ever deal with in 35 minutes. Every preacher I know would love to be able to spend the time in the scripture. But do you know why they don't? Because their people don't know what the church is and they don't know what the pastor's job is. And I'll tell you, I do a lot of things, but this is the main job. This is it. This is it. Paul knew the main thing. And Paul says, I'm not going to take the power of the cross and empty it. And he uses this word kenos. It's the same word that's used of Jesus where it says that he emptied himself by leaving glory and coming here. Y'all all right? It speaks of Jesus limiting himself by coming in a human body. And here Paul says, if I promote Paul the apostle... I'm emptying the cross of its power because I didn't die for you. And so all these big time folks that are promoting themselves and all of their books, listen, these guys are making so much money. Here's my question. Why aren't you giving your books away? Hello? See, it's all about It's not about the money. No, it's always about the money. Paul was concerned that the cross would be emptied of its power. So he says, no divisions in the church. Stop fighting about who the best preacher is. I mean, these four chapters are heavy duty. Paul comes in, and it's going to get even better. I'm telling you, next week, you're going to be like, holy smoke. Paul said that to them? And If you don't see, this is why the context is so important. When you see the context, you'll understand it, and you'll know it. What a tragedy for a pastor to preach, and the words of the cross are ineffective. How can a man bring the message of the cross to the table and it be emptied of its power? How could he do that? Because he's more important than the cross. The preacher cannot water the message down. He can't make it about himself. He shouldn't use it for profit or for personal fame and recognition. That loses the power of the cross. And so Paul, that's why Paul says, listen, no more talk about I'm following Apollos or Cephas or anyone else. You know, and he said, follow Jesus. No divisions in the church. You say, how can you prove that I'm following Jesus? Trust him with the division. Can I ask you a question? Every church split that you've ever known, the people that were fighting one another was their concern That they had to empty the power of the cross, the cross of its power. Were they thinking about that? They were not thinking about that. They were thinking about getting their own way. And what happens after a church split is usually the people that were in it leave the church and the church is destroyed. They destroyed the church anyway. Have you ever done that to yourself? You're like, I'm in this fight, but I'm going to submit to Christ because if I don't, listen. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you came to an impasse and there's just no... no, and here's, I have said this to people, and the Lord taught me this a long time ago. If you're married, you understand this. I'm going to forget this and forgive you, and I'm asking you to forgive me because you're more important to me than this argument. Are you okay with that? See, that's submission to Christ. That's letting it go. So... The preacher is not here to intellectualize, to philosophize, or pontificate. I'm not here to gain a following, as Paul says. I'm not here to, I'm not here to say that the, the power of the cross, I, this is what I'm here for, to tell you the power of the cross is still powerful. It can, cure, it can cure addictions. It can cure depression. It can put families back together. The power of the cross can fix anything. I heard somebody the other day tell me, I said, listen, brother, I'm praying for you. I know that you're hurting. I'm I'm praying for your healing. He says, I've basically given up on that. God's not going to do that. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you can give up, but I'm not. Because the power of the cross of Jesus Christ is still in effect. I know of nothing more difficult or as rewarding as kingdom work. If it feels easy, anybody can do it. I'm not saying that we would be perfect by any means, but I like this example. I want to take you here. I'm going to finish right here. You you know there's a miracle happened this morning already. Did y'all know that? Because I got through this and I'm closing it out and it's only 12 02. (laughs) If you knew how fast I went, you knew a miracle's already happened. And here's what I love about you. You want me to tell you what I love about you? There's not a soul here this morning looked at their watch that I saw. Because the Holy Spirit's got you and the Spirit of God's listening to you. And I want you to go here with me. We're going to finish out Acts chapter 2 and go to Acts 2.42. I want to show you something. And this is my prayer for us. It's my prayer for your business. It's my prayer for your family. It's my prayer for everything for all of us. In, in Acts chapter 2. This is, and uh, I got it a little bigger up here. I'm just going to read it from right here because the letters are too small right there. (laughs) Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Look, this is about the New Testament church. They devote, listen to the words. I'm going to highlight them when I get there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. Divisions, divisive people don't fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayer. See, if you've if you got quarrels and fights, church is not breaking bread and they're not praying. Everyone. Who? Everyone. Everyone was filled with awe. What a great church. What a perfect situation. It's when the people walk around and think, gosh. Can you imagine what God's doing? And many wonders and miracles, signs were done by the apostles. Could it be that when we get to heaven, and we say, Lord, why didn't you heal these people? We didn't. And the Lord says, because y'all were fighting all the time. You robbed the cross of its power. May not be his fault. Oh, wow, fancy that. I can promise you it's not his fault. It's our fault, is it not? All the believers were together. Where? Together. We're supposed to be together. And they had everything in common. You know, everybody always wants to go back to Acts and build their doctrine off on Acts. And to say, we should be the church in Acts. How many of y'all want to bring your paycheck to Brother Jerry and let me distribute it? Uh, Albert does? Well, you bring it, brother. I'll take it. Okay, bless your heart. That's what they were doing. Everybody was bringing everything they had and the apostles distributed it. Y'all don't want to do that, do you? You don't have to look holy. Say no. I ain't giving y'all my paycheck. But they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. To God be the glory. Wouldn't that be awesome? That we loved each other so much, that we cared for each other so much. When's the last time you said, this is my opinion, but I'm giving it up for you? Can I be honest with you? I don't do that very often. You now why? Because my opinion. I think I'm right here's what Spurgeon says unless it's a matter of conscience it's okay now if we're going to talk about the means of salvation not backing off of that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus period, rose from the grave he's at the right hand of the father he's the redemption, that's it we can agree on that there's so much more that we don't have to agree on it's okay if you want chocolate and I want vanilla, it's okay amen Except your Albert, alright. So. Listen, the biggest division that there is is a person who says, "Not giving my heart to Jesus." That's the biggest chasm. And so, here's what I want you to do today: if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to come to me and say, "Pastor, I want to bridge the gap today." The blood of Christ, the grace and mercy of Jesus will be the bridge. You can walk right over it, come to pastor. I don't save anybody, but I will lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Amen? Maybe you just need to go to somebody across the room and say, you know what? I love you. You're more important to me than this argument. Amen? Maybe you need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I've had a lot of questions. But I don't really care if they get answered. I'm just going to trust you with my heart and give you my heart today. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I'm just, I'll let you answer the questions later. I just want to by faith receive you. Maybe husband and wife need to make some reparations today. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and just say, Lord, please, please protect the unity of the body at Wood Lake. Let's be careful of the spiritual warfare as God uses us and grows us. I'm begging you, please pray for people to come. Pray that you just share with people out word of mouth and get them here. Let's share Christ with them. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, this is your moment. Lord, I pray that we don't have divisions ever. I pray that you give me the courage to stand up and, and the wisdom to fix divisions. We feel so inadequate. Help us, Lord, to Just walk with you. Let us all submit to you. May you just let your spirit of grace and mercy fall upon this room right now. I want to pray for people that are thinking about joining Woodlake. Would you give them the yes or the no right now? This would be the place they could come and fellowship, and I could love them and be their pastor and shepherd. Uh, Let them know before they come, we're not perfect, uh, but we are forgiven. And let's pray you just do a work right here today. Let your spirit fall upon us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you come? Pastor's right here for you. If you need to come.